few verses uh, before we look at Romans 11. Turn with me, please, to Breshit, Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and will bless you. I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all of the families or tribes or peoples, call me, of the earth, shall be Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for all of your goodness to us. We ask you now, Lord God, that you open our eyes to it, to its glory, to its meaning. Not only to understand, but also in your grace to act. It all depends on your grace. Right from the beginning, yes, God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation. God tells him that. But he didn't say I'm going to make you a great nation to make you a great nation. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation that through you, all of the people, all of the tribes of the earth shall be blessed. We have to distinct, make a distinction between the universalism of liberal, liberal theologians and the universalism of scripture. The universalism of the liberals is the kind of lies we see today. That all religions lead to God, that there's truth in Islam and Hinduism and Sikhism and Buddhism. Well, whatever truth is there, there's only enough truth to deceive people to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the right. That's the universalism of the world. Other avenues of salvation. I'm sorry to say that to the ecumenical movement, more and more traditional evangelicals are drawing forth into faith theology. A major Christian writer in this country, the evangelical Anglican, Colin Chapman, wrote a book where he's basically begun to say that he's not sure that people of the Islamic faith and these Hindu faiths cannot go to heaven without faith in Jesus. Or disturbing. But there is another universalism, which is biblical, if you want to use the term, which says that God's redemption is for all nations and all people, and Israel was to be his mechanism for giving the world his truth and his Messiah. That's the kind of universalism I agree with. All these other promises to Abraham about making him a great name, the father of all who believe he is. Arabs call him Ibrahim, Jews call him Abba Abraham, that's true. I will bless them that bless me and curse them that curse me. I'm convinced that's true. I have no doubt in my mind that one of the reasons the judgment of God has not already fallen on the United States of America. And America is a country which is blood guilty before God because of the amount of Christian influence in its social fabric and its history. One of the reasons God's judgment has not already come on America, why it's not declined as a world power the way that Russia and Britain have, is because it has treated the Jews but another nation. I believe that's a factor. I also believe it's a factor that God's judgment has not come on Holland. If you look at Amsterdam, the wickedness in that city, but they protected Jews. I believe that it is a factor. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but it is a factor. It's a wicked city. It's got to be the most wicked city in the developed world. If God doesn't destroy that place, 
people say Yosan and Gamala an apology. <clears throat> that's also true. Our person is history. Historically, that's always been borne out. Right after the Spanish Inquisition, Francis Drake thinks the Armada, and now Britannia rules the race. I consider this list that go the wall around the shuttle, around the ghetto. Any Jew trying to climb over the wall gets machine gun. What happens? A wall was built around the great German capital, Berlin. And he turned to try to climb over the wall, get machine gun. Until that entire generation responsible for the Holocaust of the Blitz was dead. It's amazing to me. Not until Rudolf Hess died in the standout prison, the last person, the last of the Nazi leaders responsible for what happened. Until he died, that wall didn't come down. I believe in the historical outworking of these promises. But they all lead up to the final one. God didn't choose Abraham or, or raise him up to be a great nation just because he wants to bless one nation and one people. He did it that through the Jews, through Israel, salvation would come for all nations and for all people. It's in this light we have to begin to understand Romans chapter 11. Romans chapters 1 through 8 deal with subjects like the purpose of the law, how it teaches how we're fallen. That's what it deals with. And how Yeshua, Jesus, fulfilled it. But then a question emerges. Well, if he fulfills the law, then it says he's the end of the law, the Greek word is teleos. He's the aim of the law, the target, the purpose of it. But what about Israel and the Jews? If God finished with them, what happens to Jews? So chapters 9, 10, and 11, and into chapter 12, we deal with that. Some people say it's parenthetical. You could say that in a way, but it's also more like, well, if Jesus fulfills the Torah, then what's the purpose of the Torah? The Jews. And then he goes back to the issues he deals with in the earlier chapters, after chapter 12. From the point of view of the law, Romans has its counterpart in Galatians. Romans deals with the purpose of the law proactively, he hears what it means, and in Galatians, he deals with it reactively, reacting against the legalists, the Judaizers. And today, again, we see people caught up in things like the Seventh-day Adventist movement and the extremes of the Messianic movement who are basically going in the same direction as the foolish Galatians. But then, in chapters 9, 10, 11, and into chapter 12, we have a counterpart in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 12 of Romans, Paul begins talking about things like spiritual gifts, right after he talks about God's purpose for the Jews. We have no chapter divisions in the Greek text of the letter. People put those in later. This is very similar to Romans to 1 Corinthians. He begins speaking about the gifts right after the Jews, and as just as he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul does the same thing. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, verse 22, Jews seek a sign, referring to the themes of Ishmael's Hebrew miracles, as Greeks seek wisdom. Jews seek a sign, as Greeks seek wisdom. In the patristic writers, the early church fathers, some of them, like Justin Martyr, believed that what was best about Greek philosophy, not all of it, but what was best about it, the monotheism of Socrates specifically, 
helped prepare the Greek world for the coming of the gospel, much the same as the Torah helped prepare the Jewish world. They believe that, and maybe they have a point. Others, like the Syrians, disagree. But here he's talking about Jews seeking a sign. We see the Nibla'ot, and we see this in the gospel. When the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this? Will he do more signs than Yeshua? Now, of course, Jesus handled these things very differently than we see people handling it today. In Israel, there was a rabbi who they said to do miracles. Salibaba. Uh, they all get hooked up on it. If you understand the Hasidic movement, you know what Hasidic Jews are with the tales of Israel. They hit the Kabbalah, Zohar, very much into manifestations, signs, wonders, it's a charismatic movement within Judaism. I wish more Jewish people, the Rose Christians, understood what the Hasidic movement was about. They read Zohar and they understood it and realized it was not biblical Judaism at all. Much of it is actually a cult. Nonetheless, you have this thing, Jews seeking a sign. And Jewish history has been permeated by people doing that kind of thing. They go after people like Bob Sven Cove and then Jacob Frank and all kinds of acrobats. You see Rabbi Gamaliel uh, alluding to this in the book of Acts, chapter 4, don't you? Judah of Galilee and so on. And it was Simon Magnus. And indeed, you see, it's the early church history. Jews had an attraction to this. While the Greeks, although you had that element, were more into philosophical debating, like Paul and Athens with the Epicureans and Stoics. Jews seeking a sign. Now, not only was Jesus different from the other miracle workers, that he was not a fraud, but he's also different than some of the miracle workers today, so-called, who also fraud. When Jesus did a miracle, it was usually, don't tell anybody. But now he's going out on the street. Yes, praise God, you can see. Now repent, sin no more, go your way. When he healed somebody, he usually played it down. These signs bear witness to him, never to a man, and he never allowed signs and wonders and manifestations to eclipse his message. Never. They bear witness. Only these signs follow. Yeshua would never allow these things to become sexual in his ministry. But they do bear witness to him. He says it in John. Believe for the sake of the works. He says it in Hebrews. <laughs> it's predominantly a Gentile church with some Jews mixed in in Corinth. In Romans, it's the same. Now, in Corinthians, he warns about excesses of signs and wonders of people entering and saying, Are you mad? And you see that today. We have a case of a young woman in this room, she's Jewish, her parents are Jews. Become more observant since she became a believer in Jesus. They saw these Toronto meetings on TV and they say to her, That's what you left Judaism for, the Bachmark of Baal, or whatever it was. They understand that, so they're not saying you're mad. Well, that's particularly going to be true of Jewish people because that's skeptical of Christianity anyway. Nonetheless, Jews seek a sign. That's why. Something serious happened. Why is it in Romans 11 he talks about God's purpose for the Jews in 9, 10, and 11? But when he gets to verse 29, he goes back to the theme of Corinthians. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He links gifts and calling when he's talking about the Jews. 
That's the same thing Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says there are a variety of gifts in verse 4, but in verse 5, a variety of ministries. You've always had this relationship between somebody's ministry and their gifts. Someone's calling and their gifts. Your ministry will in some ways determine what spiritual gifts you have. You see this in Romans, and you see it in Corinthians. The linkage between gifts and calling. Strange that he puts it right there when he's talking about the Jews. And that's something I didn't quite grasp for a long time, until I began realizing, which I always knew here, but I never thought of it, the race to chapter divisions. For instance, a pastor is called to know the condition of his flocks. So a pastor will frequently have things like words of knowledge. Does that help him to be a pastor? Elders, pastors are called the praise of the sick. It's the feeling of people to be passed down from people with pastoral ministry. Evangelists, this kind of thing. People doing mission work in countries where you're up against the occult in a hard-pressed way in certain places like been in Africa and Asia. Like Elijah the priest of Bob. There's definitely more of a need for miraculous healings and signs and wonders in certain environments than there are in others. Now, I never limit God, but I'm simply saying when you have an occult mentality, the true power has to outshine the false one. But, the truest power will always be the power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction from the Word of God to the hearts of the lost. That will always be the truest power. The signs again always follow the heavenly Jesus. So, he puts this thing in, in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, about the gift and calling. And then in the next chapter, once again, he begins talking about gifts to the natural flow. Bearing in mind there's no chapter division in the original Greek text, verse 29 then makes the natural flow to the things we read in chapter 12. Just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, Paul says, despise not prophetic utterance. No further. If service in his service, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. A much broader perspective of spiritual gifts than you see in Corinthians. In Corinthians, most people are thinking of the nine charismatic gifts. Here, he talks about the gift of philanthropy. People with the gifts of health service. People with gifts of mercy. Medical missionaries will frequently have the gift of mercy. But in what context? One is to have a body that will provoke the Jews to jealousy. Now, when you have the sugarness, when you have crazy people doing crazy things, if they came in and they saw people walking like dogs and laughing hysterically, or some of the things I saw when I was in Toronto in October, no Jewish person or anybody else in their right mind is going to think that that's something they want to get stripped. In fact, they want to see the real thing. 
On the other hand, the gift and calling of God. Romans 11 is a polemic against replacement theology. Replacement theology says that the prophetic purposes and calling of God for the Jews ended in the first century. God ceased to be the God of Israel. Israel has now been replaced by the church. That is one form of cessationism. That Israel has ceased to be the people of God. I will be looking at Romans 11 says that's not true. The other form of cessationism says the same kind of thing. The gift of the Spirit also ended in the first century. So you have a linkage in Romans between that that says God's purposes for Israel ceased then, his calling for his gift ceased then. I don't believe in replacement theology any more than I believe in being open to talk about Israel. And I don't believe in cessation theology any more than I believe in Toronto or extremism. There's a balance. There's a direct linkage in Romans between replacement theology and cessationism. The gift and calling of God go forth without repentance. Chapter 11 leads directly into chapter 12 where you have this issue with the subject of the gifts being discussed in body life. To have a body that will provoke the Jews to jealousy. Now let's begin looking at this olive tree. What Paul was saying here is not all that complicated. First he says, God has not rejected his people. I too am an Israelite. And he goes on to say, they killed thy prophets and torn down thy altars. He compares the situation of Jewish believers in the church, both in the first century, but even now, to what happened in the days of Elijah. Our way of thinking about this has been distorted by our Western view of history instead of a biblical view of history. If you were to go back the last 2,000 years of the history of the church, remember, the history of Israel from Abraham to the time of Jesus is just as long. Amazing, isn't it? A narrow view of history. And a word comes on his face. It's true. Only a small group of Jewish people accept Jesus as the Messiah. Now, in the first century, it was substantial. In the second century, even according to the Talmudic literature and Jewish historians, it was very substantial. He doesn't publish on an academic level. His books are easy to read. Nice schema, both God the Jews and history. He talks about the very high percentages of Jews in the second century, at the time of our cultural rebellion, who believed Jesus was the Messiah. So, Jewish historians estimated as 25% of the population of Jerusalem. That's very high. And we see Talmudic references and things like the Bekatha Menim and all this other stuff, and the other that there are, rabbis being very nervous about the very large numbers of Jews believing in Jesus as the Messiah. 
Throughout history, there's always been the odd individual. In this country, you had a number. Benjamin Disraeli was a Jew who believed Jesus was the Messiah. Felix Mendelssohn, the composer, a British Jew who believed Jesus was the Messiah. Family were German Jews. Peter Schein, the historian, a Jew who believed Peter Schein, Jesus was the Messiah. It's amazing. He does a lot more messianic work and research and scholarly things written. Now, Peter Schein's book is still foundational. It's still a book that everybody interested in this subject should read, even though it's in the last century. Once again, it's increasing. We're told that the size of the Israel Hebrew, the Jewish body of Christ in Israel, is quadrupled in the last five years by some estimates because of the Russians immigrating who were saved in underground Pentecostal Baptist churches in the Old Soviet Empire, and you can in that, and also because of the large numbers getting saved in Israel. You see, like 15 congregations when I was there, they're like 40. Well, there are a little ones, but nobody knows about meeting in apartments and things that people don't even know. Nobody knows how many Jews believe. Nobody knows how many Jewish believers there are in Russia, but there's a lot, and a lot getting paid all the time. In the United States, it's absolutely incredible. There's tens of thousands of Jews in North America who believe. More than that, I would say more than 90% of them has been saved in the last 15 to 18 years. A couple of years ago, I was in New York, I was at a picnic. I'm from New York originally, my family was from England, but my wife and kids are very, but I was born in New York. And uh, I was at a picnic of two churches together. They weren't as my fellowship, they were just ordinary evangelical churches. And both of them happened to have Jewish pastors. Mm-hmm. I even wrote a few of the five churches in New York that I know of. <laughs> Probably more now to have pastors who are Jews. Not just any fellowship, I mean, these churches and You see this happening. Richard and Sabina Lundgren, Romanian Jews, like my wife, founder of Christians in Sport, Eddie Wax, Jewish. The only person to have a number one hit single on the secular pop shop that was Christian, Norman Greenbaum, going up to the spirit of the sky. I'm Jewish. You see this happening, more Jews believe it all the time, but it's still a minority. Isn't it a pity how Jewish people reject their own Messiah? Except for, yeah, it is. But that's nothing new, Paul is saying in Romans. In the days of Elijah, there were only 7,000 who didn't bow beneath the bow. How many did not participate in Korach's rebellion in the Sinai? As a matter of fact, look at the typology of the Exodus. Only Joshua and Caleb, a Jew and a Gentile, from that generation that came out into the Thomas land, teaching that the remnant of Jew and Gentile would be saved. Look at 1 Kings. Look at 2 Kings. 1 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. So only the majority of the Jews accept Jesus. So what else is new? There's never been anything more than a minority of Jews who've accepted the truth of their own faith. This is nothing new. We just have a wrong perspective of it. Never. Nothing new. It's always been like that. They all said, put Jeremiah in prison. They all said, saw Isaiah in half. They all said, stone Zachariah in the temple. They all said that. 
So, what's to say the power of the vineyard in Matthew 21, taken from Isaiah 5? I said my servants, the strong one, so strong. It's always been like that. But you know what? Look at the history of the church. Of all the so-called Christians in the world, and of all the so-called Christian denominations in the world, how many do you think throughout history have been truly born again and known Jesus and believe the Bible? Is the average person in the world who says he's a Christian a Christian? Of course not. Born again Christians have always been a minority throughout most of history, except in the very beginning. Born before Luther, Calvin, Willie, for 1,200 years, you had these groups in England, it was the Lollards, following John Wycliffe, right? That was the 7,000 Christians in the Dalmatians above. In Central Europe, you had the Bohemian Brethren following Jan Hunt. Those were 7,000 Christians, not Dalmatians above. You had in Western Europe, the World Empires, those were the 7,000 Christians, not Dalmatians above. It's the same truth. There's one difference. According to the Jews, the spring coming back at the church. Why? The Jews only look forward to the coming of the Messiah. The so-called church has it. In the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant, the Jews couldn't have the Holy Spirit. It was only for kings, high priests, and prophets. Not for all who believe. The Jews only had the Tanakh, the Old Testament. We have that and the New Testament. And on top of all that, we have their example of the Lanthar. If God is finished with them, show me one reason he shouldn't be finished with Christianity. Matter of fact, he has more reasons to give them a chance than he does us now. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of him, he says, in the early church that was true. Now the opposite is true. Now the name of Jesus is blasphemed among the Jews because of Christianity. Not only Roman Catholicism and nominal Christianity, even Protestantism. Luther, every Jew should be ordered into a corral and forced to confess Christ at the point of the night. That's not 500 years old. Today's the same. Rick Godwin. The Jews had no right to be in the land. Israel believed but wasted money. The evangelical charismatic kingdom now. Dead is only a minority who believes. But there's never been anything more than a minority who truly believe. Always remember what Jesus said. If you believe Moses, you will believe me also. In other words, the average Jewish person who's observant, or the average Jewish person in this neighborhood, their problem is not that they reject Jesus for the Messiah. You know what I said? The problem with the Jewish people in this neighborhood is not that they reject their Messiah. Their rejection of their Messiah is the result of their problem. Their problem is they don't believe the Torah. They don't believe Moses. If you believe Moses, you believe me also. Jesus fulfills the Torah. 
Not the end, the target, the purpose, the fulfillment of it. That's the problem. They don't believe the Torah. Every Jew is either under one or two covenants. He's under one covenant or another. Think of unsaved Jews as a special category of backsliders. In a sense, unsaved Jews can be part of a category of backsliders. Well, let's look further. <coughs> In the same way, there has come at the present time a remnant according to God's great story. Yeah, a remnant is Jews believe. Thank God my kitty right out there. The Jewish kid is being brought up to believe. That's good. Praise the Lord. He's part of the remnant for this time. But it's no different than the mainstream church. Evangelicals are a minority. And many of the minorities today are apostatizing and compromising. Then he goes and he talks about grace. Now it's interesting. The Hebrew word for gift is also, I'm sorry, the Greek word is also grace. Charism. Charism. In our mentality, we go around saying this one has the gift of this and the gift of that, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of healing. This is absolutely ridiculous in two ways. It's not that I have the gift of tongues or I have the gift of prophecy. It's I have the grace to prophesy. I have the grace to pray in tongues. I have the grace. Wrong idea, but this is my gift. No, it's not your gift. It's your grace. It's God's undeserved favor. It's a gift. But more than that, what does it say in chapter 12 of Romans? It's not to you anyhow. It's through you to the body. <laughs> we got the wrong perspective. Well, think this. We got the wrong perspective anyway. Nobody has any gift. The gift of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself. It's the pledge of our salvation. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the gift that you have, or that I have. But the gift of the Spirit are many the individuals. They're in the body two individuals. And in that gift is reaching the gift. The Greek word is grace. And he goes on then speaking. What then? That which Israel is seeking for is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, etc., 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 and it quotes from various texts in the Old Testament, like Deuteronomy 24, and so on. In other words, Israel's rejection was prophesied. But it was consistent with what always happened. There was never anything more than a remnant, the minority. So too, the incorporation of Gentiles was prophesied as a look at. Verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be! But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, with their transgression, the riches for the world, 
And their failure, the riches for the Gentiles, the Greek word for Gentiles is ethnos. Means people. The Hebrew word is goyi. When you say somebody is goyi, it's all of the nation. All of the nation. And Isaiah, Israel is called the goyi. If their transgression be riches for the world, and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then, as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Jesus is coming for a spotless bride. Not the acid test of a spotless bride. The acid test of a spotless bride is a church that can provoke the parents of my wife to jealousy, the Holocaust of my That's a spotless bride. So if they want a spotless bride, make them want what we want. It's part of God's barometer of what the church should be. Let's look If their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their reconciliation be but life from the dead? Make no mistake about it. Pay attention. God is going to bless the church through Jewish people before Jesus comes again. You hear what I say? God is going to bless the church through Jewish people before Jesus comes again. That's what we are. The same as God used the Jews to give the gospel to the Gentiles in the first century church, God is going to use the Gentiles to bring the good news back home to the Jews in the last I'm a member of an organization called the Laotian Consultation on Jewish Evangelism. We get different reports and things. And there's all these things you can order on statistical studies. And a lot of work is done in a place called Portland, California. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, the overwhelming majority of Jewish people who get saved comes to faith through the witness, testimony, and prayers of Gentile people. And with good reason. So much of the damage and anti-Semitism was done by people posing to be Christians, that damage has to be undone by true Christians. Part of the reason, part of the reason. Not only that, but the overwhelming mass of the financial support for Jewish missions and Jewish evangelism comes from Gentile churches. The same as the church in Antioch sends out Paul and Barnabas for the Gentiles. Jewish missions in the modern sense were born here, in Britain. CMJ, the church of ministry to the Jews. <clears throat> well, people like William Wilberforce and the Earl of Shaftesbury were among the founders of CMJ. They realized the prophetic presence of the God of Israel. They called it the British, what was CMJ called? Uh, CMJ called the British, the British Jews of the same. 
the Presbyterian believers in Scotland did this, they saw this in Northern Ireland, and they saw this. Began here. What you have is a payback for Acts 13. The Spirit moved, they were fasting and praying, and the Spirit said, Send out Paul and Barnabas for the Gentiles. Here in Britain, British Christians were born. God was saying, Now, send out missionaries, the Jews. God is going to bless the church through Jewish people before Jesus comes. Two, and to use the Jews to get the gospel to the Gentiles in the beginning of the church, he uses the Gentiles to give it back to the Jews at the end. Third, as Jesus said, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba b'shem adonai. The same as the first coming of the Messiah, depended on God's prophetic purposes for Israel and the Jews, the second coming of the Messiah depends on God's prophetic purposes for Israel and the Jews. God's plan for the salvation of the world is prophetically bound up with his plan for the salvation of Israel. If their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their reconciliation be but life from the dead? Let's go on. If the first piece of dough be holy, the love is also, and if the root be holy, the branches are as well. The Bible, the New Testament, explains this here by an olive tree. Other places, like in Corinthians and Peter, it uses a building, the temple. There's a different Greek words for temple, like naos and oikos and Haran, uh, but they're all types of the word of the church. Seven places, the New Testament says that. Before we look at this, think of a skyscraper, is the example I use. You don't have many in Britain, but you have a lot in, in, in other countries. Particularly <laughs> the States. When I come to a skyscraper, a 60, 70 story building, 80 story building, I go like this. But I'm not an engineer or an architect. An engineer or an architect goes, <laughs> he knows to get something to go that high and stay there, there has to be something pretty remarkable underneath that's holding it up. He knows I can't see this foundation, but he knows it's down there, because if that foundation wasn't there, I know what the building did. You don't see this here when I grew up in New York and who this is. Hundreds and hundreds of skyscrapers. There's over a thousand, twelve hundred just in Manhattan. Twelve, thirteen hundred skyscrapers just in Manhattan. Buildings over fifty stories, sixty stories. Some of them are over a hundred stories. And, uh, they go up a skyscraper, right? Which they do all the time. And what happens is, they dig and dig and dig, and they have these boards around it, with pictures of what it's going to look like, the architect's drawing. But they're digging and digging and digging. When are these guys going to stop digging? That thing's never going up. Every time I come by, they're digging. Six months later, they're still digging. But when the time is right, it's the same. God spends 2,000 years getting the foundation right before he builds the church. The history of the Jews from Abraham to the time of Jesus 
If it's wrong, it's a crime for Jesus to denounce. The same principle. So it is with the tree. When you come and you see a tree, you know it has roots. And you know if it had no roots, or if those roots were dead, the tree would be dead, wouldn't it? What does Paul say about the roots? Reza, here in Greek, the word is Reza. That the root be holy in verse 16, the branches are to. Holy, set upon us like a Hegel in Greek, called in Hebrew. If the root is not there, the tree is an idol. If God is finished with the Jews, he's finished with the church. What have the Jews done that God would get angry at them with the Babylonian captivity? What have they done? Look at it. Idolatry? <laughs> Do you think the society is not idolatrous? Is the Christian world idolatrous at work its manner? The Roman Catholicism and Christianity are idolatry. It's idolatry. The the bow down to worship. The Hebrew word, the bow down, the genuflect, the prostrate, is the same as the word to worship. That's idolatry. What else did they do? Sacrifice their babies to Molech? As you've often heard me say, non-therapeutic abortion is just sacrificing babies to mama. These babies are executed for economic reasons. Anything the Jews did, the church did it more so, and the church had much more than the Jews ever did. Jesus. Yet, if he's finished with them, the tree is finished. But let's look what he says about the tree. Everything underneath the surface is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Everything above it is the New Covenant. Does God have one tree or two? One. In the Old Covenant, when the branches of the church were being founded, most of the roots were Jews. However, in the Old Covenant, you still had a remnant of Gentiles. Jews, Abraham, or you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaiah, Nahum, Samuel, wait a minute, here's Ruth, and uh, here's Sephora, and here's Uriah, and here's Caleb. Most of the branches of the root were Jews, but even in the old covenant, God had a faithful remnant of Gentiles wrapped into it. This nothing new. This, on this point, I would agree with covenant theology. The Calvinists have this part at least partly right. Above the surface, it's the New Testament. The lower branches are all Jews. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, Timothy, Titus, Paul. Right? Mary, Lydia, or Jewish. All of that. Titus is Gentile, sorry. Then, it's Gentiles. Pay attention. It is true to say that 
that Gentile Christians replace Jews who reject Jesus. It's true. Jews who reject their Messiah are cut off from their own tree. And Gentiles who accept him replace them. But the tree remains the same tree. Turn to Jeremiah 31, 31. Please. Jeremiah 31, 31. Yirmiyahu Hanavid. declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers. And they have talked with the Hadashah and Beth Yehudah and Beth Israel, look come off a bridge and he talked to Imago Khen. Covenant and testament the same word, bridge. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'll give the new covenant to the Baptists. I'll give the new covenant to the Pentecostals. I'll give the new covenant to the Pope. No, the new covenant is given to the Jews. God never made a covenant with the Gentiles. Never. In the Old Testament, any Gentile who wanted to be part of the covenant had to join themselves to the Jewish people the way Ruth did. And it's the same thing now. Any non-Jew who wants to be part of God's covenant has to join themselves to Israel and the Jews, spiritually. Not by circumcision, but by circumcision of the heart, faith and the Messiah. Yes, Gentiles replace Jews who reject him, but it's the same tree. There's no new tree. They're taken from a wild tree, he says, and grafted into the cultivated one. And if what underneath it is dead, so is what's above the surface. But then he goes on and he says something else. I'm going to tell you a mystery. The mystery is this. There are time things when the Jews for centuries killed their prophets and broke the covenant. And finally rejected their Messiah, so I turned my grace to the Gentiles. But the reverse is going to happen. The thing is, I got fed up with them. I'm going to get fed up with Christianity. In its popular sense. Yeah, it's a century. I sent Jeremiah, I sent Isaiah and Zechariah and John the Baptist, Yochanan, and I feel, and they rejected their prophets. So, it's the church. What did the church? Did the Methodists follow the teachings of Wesley? No. The Baptists in this country starting with Rome. Did they follow the teachings of Spurgeon and John Bunyan? No. Did the Anglicans follow the doctrine of Thomas Cranmer or John Hooper? No. No. Yeah, he got set up with the Jews and turned his face to the Gentiles, keeping a faithful remnant of Jews. But a time will come when the reverse will happen. 
When he spoke of this, the saints were better not yet known. The time of the Gentiles, he spoke of it in a prophetic sense in Luke 21. This verse of the other discourse about Jerusalem being trampled down. He had called you with it salvifically to do with salvation. But it's the same idea. The time of the Gentiles comes to a close. And what begins to happen? The top branches are Jews. The first Christians were Jews. Right? The first Christians were Jews. And the last Christians were going to be Jews. Whether General Coates and Rick Godwin and Andrew Sheehan are not good enough. <laughs> the first Christians were Jews, and the last Christians are going to be Jews. Some people of the premillennial persuasion would seem to interpret Revelation 144,000, Revelation 7 along this line. A few which I personally have a considerable amount of sympathy, though I'm not affecting to totally understand it. Now, if they do not continue in their unbelief in verse 23, for if you were cut off and wanted by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. I remember my wife, before she was my wife, of course, witnessing to her in Jerusalem. I was showing her the 22nd Psalm. The Messiah be crucified, the devil put his clothes. She said, that's very interesting. But now show it to me in the Tanakh, in the Jewish Testament. She thought I was reading from the New Testament. I said, but Tavia, this is the Tanakh. It's the book of Psalms, the Psalm of David. And her eyes passed. Jesus, did you think you could say more Jewish or less? More Jewish. You as well. More Jewish. Came more of a gift. When you found the Messiah, when you found the Shia, you came more of a gift. More. Dina. There's two Jews there. Dina. What happened to you very briefly when you came to believe in Jesus? Did you think you became more of a Jew or less? Either. What happened when you came to believe in Jesus? Did you become more of a Jew or less? Practically everyone. I, I, you'll find very few Jewish believers who will tell you that their Jewishness and Jewish identity became less significant after they got saved. Almost everyone will tell you it became more significant to varying degrees, but you'll find very few that don't say that. Very few. But let's look. He got fed up with the Jews, but a time will come when he'll get fed up with the Gentiles. 
And thus it is written, all Israel will be saved. This does not mean every Jew will be saved. That's the errors of dual covenant theology is false, common talk about it. What it does mean is context is when the deliverer comes from Zion. Those Jews who accept him as Messiah when he comes back. This is bound up with the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 12. It means the Jews who see him and accept him as Messiah in the last days. And some of these will survive the great tribulation. Even the remnant. And they'll recognize him as Messiah. Now we have to be careful. Galatians talks about the Israel of God. The Israel of God is the faithful remnant of Old Testament Israel who are faithful under the law. The faithful remnant of New Testament Israel. The Jews who accept Jesus. Together with the Gentiles grafted in the faithful remnant of Gentiles in the Old Covenant and the faithful remnant of Gentiles grafted in to the New. Most of the branches in the Old were Jews with some Gentiles. Most of the branches in the New, that's the Old, in the New were Gentiles with some Jews. The Israel of God. In heaven, everybody's name will be Cohen. Or so that it'll be the Cohen of priests. It's a regime of priests, isn't it? <laughs> Jewish people's names are Cohen and Levi and Siegel. Those are the priestly names. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. That is, for the sake of the good news, the salvation of non-Jews, the Jews are enemies. However, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. They are beloved for the sake of their fathers. Turn with me, please, to Genesis Chapter 15. Verse 17. Where the covenant is formalized with Abraham, the father. Verse 17. And it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between these two pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. The way you take a covenant in Hebrew, then with the cut of covenant, you sacrifice an animal ritually, and cut it in half. <coughs> and both parties, this goes into rituals and things like this, but both parties would pass between the bisected carcass of the sacrificed animal. Notice only the flame goes through. This flame in Hebrew we call Shalhevet Yah, the flame of Yahweh. It's the same as the pillar of fire, the Shekinah. Only God went through, Abraham didn't. Why? Because right from the beginning, God knew he would keep the covenant. But Abraham's descendants wouldn't. The validity of a covenant does not depend on the unfaithfulness of man, but rather 
on the faithfulness of God. Their beloved for the sake of their fathers. He made a promise to Abraham and that's it. God can't lie. It doesn't depend on us being faith. Now the individuals rejecting it is one thing. But the corporate covenant with Israel can't be broken. Any more than it can be broken with the church because it's two covenants with one nation. For the sake of their fathers. Well, let's continue. Verse 29. For the gift and calling of God are irrevocable. Just like in Corinthians, it links gifts and calling. This introduces what we build up to in the following chapter 12, when he begins talking about gifts. Notice, it's the same mentality. The same mentality that gave us the errors of replacement theology is the same mentality that gave us the errors of cessation theology. Same root. Goes back to when Constantine Christianized the Roman Empire, and the Pope became scalawags and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it was the story of uh, Thomas Aquinas. He came in to the Rome with the Pope, and the Pope showed him the papal treasury. And he said to Thomas Aquinas, You see, the church can no longer say, Gold and silver have I none. And he began laughing to Aquinas. And Aquinas says, Yes, you're correct, but neither can the church say, In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. <laughs> I'm no fan of Aquinas, but on that point he was right. The reformers said and did a lot of good things, but they only went back to part of the biblical truth. The authority of Scripture, they got that right. Justification by faith, they got that right. The corruption and idolatry of medieval Rome, they got that right. But they didn't break the unscriptural marriage between church and state. They didn't restore mission. No DTO nation. No sense in that at all. They didn't see God's end time purpose for Israel and the Jews. They didn't go back to the apostolic church. It was a big problem. Protestantism and Roman Catholicism both go back to Augustine instead of back to the Bible. And they go back to what the post-Nicene fathers, particularly Augustine, said about the Bible, and said it back to the Bible. That's their problem. They all look at it in the same prison. Instead of back to the Bible. And they go back to what the post-Nicene fathers, particularly Augustine, said about the Bible, and said it back to the Bible. That's their problem. They all look at it in the same prison. Catholicism and Protestantism both derived from Augustine. That's the problem. Other groups, like nonconformists, the Baptists, and Brethren, they, they're not Augustinian per se. If you're a Pentecostal or a Baptist or a Brethren, never consider yourself a Protestant. You may have heard me say this. During the Reformation, you would have been called an Anabaptist. If you don't believe in, in sprinkling faith, instant baptism, be a Baptist. If you don't believe in a state church, Erasmus, you would not have been considered a Protestant during the Protestant Reformation. You would have been called an Anabaptist. He would have been terribly persecuted by Protestants and Catholic alike. It was only later that these other, these non-conformist churches became 
become socially identified with Protestants. During the Reformation, they would have been seen Anabaptist sects, and they would have been hugely persecuted and sad by, by the Reformers and their followers, but they were the Pope, particularly between these people. They, they would found them on the ice and all sorts. Mm-hmm. This follows the same as Nonetheless, let's continue. The same root, the same mentality. This idea that God is finished with the Jews is directly connects here in Romans with God is finished with the church. It's just two different expressions of cessationism. Two different expressions of replacementism. For the gift and calling of God is irrevocable. Despite not the study brothers, Jews speak the study. But did not the study of God. Don't be a machine that don't go to Toronto. All things in order for education. That's the other extreme. Sensationism is one extreme. The sugarness is the other. The balance is the Bible. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. You see how it's amazing how it links sensationism with replacementism. Right? The, same, the reason the Holy Spirit put that verse in that place. You who are disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these now have been disobedient in order that because of mercy shown to you, they may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all the disobedience that he might show mercy to all. He shows, he favors the Jews. He drives out the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, and the Gentiles for free and want what the Jews have. But the Jews know it. Then he blessed and prospered the church, so the Jews will see it in one. And then Christendom, except in both cases, or the remnant. Jews are no better or no worse than anybody. We're all corrupt, and we all need God's mercy. We'll fall asleep, which comes through the gospel of Yeshua. All the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or become his counselor? For who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again, according to Isaiah chapter 3? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. None of it is new. Seven places Isaiah says the Messiah would make the Gentiles believe in the Jewish God. Turn to Isaiah 11. We call it Hashorashishai, the root of Jesse in verse 1. And it comes about in verse 10, it'll come about that day that the Gentiles are going east will resort to the root of Jesse, that will stand as a signal for the people. The Gentiles would come to believe in the Jewish God of the Messiah. Rambam, Maimonides, the most important rabbi in the rabbinic Judaism, said that Christianity came to make the Gentiles believe in the Jewish God. He actually said that. He also said that Islam was the same kind of line. At least he had half of it, right? 
Entire critics try to argue Isaiah is written by two or three people. I think it is two or three books written by the same person. He's the Quran, but certainly he doesn't have the same themes. Turn to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 16. For now our, our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not recognize us. You see that? Isaiah 63, 16. Thou art our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel doesn't recognize us. You don't need a drop of Jewish blood in your veins, or a Jewish gene in your genetic pool, or a Jewish ancestor. You don't need any of it. You faith in the Messiah. If you have faith in the Jewish Messiah, God is your father, and you're a descendant of Abraham by faith. Even though, what does it say? Israel does not recognize us. You're grafted in. It was never on the basis of race per se. Genesis 17, verse 23. Abraham took Ishmael, not just Isaac, all his servants who were born in his house and who were bought with money and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day. It was slaves, people he bought. He circumcised them and bought them under the covenant as well. Jewish identity was never based on race. It was based on faith. Here's where the reformers really got it wrong. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers. The old covenant had this problem I may have faced. Because people were born into the Jewish culture and circumcised as babies, they thought they were in a covenant relationship with God and that made them right. God tells Jeremiah when the Messiah comes, it's not going to be like that. I'll write my law on their heart. It won't be like the covenant that I gave with your father. You have to make the individual choice. And in fact, Jesus comes against the family culture of the Middle East in that sense. Father turned against children, children against parents. He realized it would have to be an individual choice. So what happens is Constantine comes and puts it back. Augustine comes along with sprinkling the baby. He puts it back. Before Satan paganized the church, he tried to Judaize it, didn't he? Before he paganized it, he tried to Judaize it. Just sprinkling babies and all this stuff, that's what it is. It's a form of Judaization, going back under the law. Same as the Roman Catholic having a separate priesthood, apart from the one of all believers, that's Judaization. It's the tabernacle of the mass, or the Anglo Catholic mass, the priests in the box, that's Judaization. Same as the Old Covenant. It's in the dynamic tabernacle, all tabernacles. Well, so was the idea of sprinkling babies. So people are born into a Christian culture, into a so-called Christian family, get sprinkled as kids, and they think they're part of the covenant. You understand? It's the same mentality. The reformers fail to address that. When you understand it, you understand where this nonsense, like replacement theology comes from, and this nonsense like cessation theology comes from. It comes from the same thing, a fundamental misunderstanding of covenant. They got it talking about.
then we get to the end. Things begin to change, Paul says. God can graft them in again because they're the natural branches. And it's amazing. It's the generation of Jews that come out of the Holocaust and their families are the ones that have turned back to their Messiah. The century that's seen the worst episode in anti-Semitism is the same century that sees the rebirth of Jewish Christianity. That has got to be the hand of God. If you find any kind of logical and historical precedent, it has to be the hand of God. I have no doubt. I'm absolutely positive. I've never been more sure of causing anything. And the numbers of Jewish people we see coming to faith in Jesus today are a sign of the last days of Jesus' repentance. We even see Orthodox Jews open. I was in South Africa, Rabbi Asabi, a big rabbi, came to hear me speak. Jewish lady stayed in Port Elizabeth, the Jewish lady saved in Stayed with me in, in uh, Johannesburg. Nobody got saved in Cape Town, I was discouraged. We did an evangelistic meeting in the big Jewish area of, of Cape Town, and nobody got saved, no Jews got saved. But an unsafe, a lot of unsafe Jews came to the meeting, including the leading expert in nuclear medicine, a radiologist and her husband in South Africa. She's one of the five top radiologists in the world. She writes the journals in nuclear medicine. And her husband owns oil wells and owns 350 racehorses. And for some reason, there's a lot of medical doctors read our newsletter in, in South Africa. I think another doctor bought it. And she got to pay for proper like Moses and she kept listening to it. She came to our office in Johannesburg. She had a summer house in Cape Town, but she lived in Joburg. And she came to Johannesburg, and this is more real office, and she asked our administrator for more of my tapes. He asked if she was a believer. She said no. He said, I can't give any more tapes. We only give them to people, we only sell them to people who are believers, so we can give you some. But more real, we use the proceeds from what we sell to subsidize to give away. Prison is an unsafe man. So we use the profits from one to subsidize the other. So, Family said, I give you some. So we gave a whole lot of tapes, and her and her husband listened for about a week, ten days, and they both came back and prayed to receive Yeshua the Messiah. And they also gave a thousand rand to Moriel, South Africa. This is a PhD, but we all appreciate the gratuity. <laughs> <laughs> this is happening all over the world. Australia is happening, South Africa, very quickly, especially Israel and America and Russia. It's happening. Ten years ago, twelve years ago, what? He believes in Jesus and he's Jewish? Oh yeah, my nephew's one of them. They understand. The first Christians were Jews. The last Christians are going to be Jews. There's never been anything more than a faithful remnant who are... I do that I don't know. There's never been anything more than a faithful remnant under the old covenant, and there's nothing more than a faithful remnant under the... Well, that's reality. They're being lasted in again. Our task is to make them They have to want, but we have to. That's quite a task, but we're living in exciting times. God bless you.